Everybody, welcome back to the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and I'm here at what we used to call Phoenix International Raceway, now ISM Raceway. I got it right, Dominic. And I'm here with Dominic Aragon from TheRacingExperts.com. Dominic, how are you? Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to have you. Of course, you are from Albuquerque, and so when I was living in Albuquerque last year, we met up for coffee out a little bit. Um, I see you at some of the Western tracks. You Actually, you try to make it to more than the Western tracks, but um, you were here today. Watch this race. We watch another Kevin Harvick butt kicking. What do you think about that? Well, we always joke in Albuquerque when we come to this race, it's the Kevin Harvick Invitational. <laughs> yeah. He's, what, now won seven out of the last 12 races, so you, you can never count Kevin Har- Harvick out when you come out to one of these races. You can always expect him to be a factor, and, and that's what he was today. I didn't realize it was seven out of the last 12. I knew nine overall. But, um, yeah, seven out of the last 12, that's a pretty good stat. And three in a row uh, for this season. And, I mean, it's like, are the are the butt whippings going to stop anytime soon, do you think? Well, it, it's just weird to think how here's a guy who got his first win in June of last year, and now he's already knocked off three wins. It seems like he's picking up where Martin Truex Jr. left off. He's the Truex this season. Three races out of four, at, that's a pretty good record to begin the year. Yeah, I agree. He's like the new 78, even though the old 78's <laughs> not really gone. Although, in some ways, the 78 of last year was the four. Like, you know, for two, the first two years, um, Harvick got to SHR. He was the one that was rolling off the truck fast every week, dominating, leading all the laps. Then uh, he kind of fell off a little bit, especially when they moved to Ford, and then Truex took over, um, and now it's like it's back to Harvick's court. So I, I think it's... Like something that Brad Keselowski said last week was that Harvick was basically overachieving last year. Now that they're back on a level playing field, so to speak, um, it's it's like look out. You know, once you get Rodney Childers some time and Kevin Harvick together, I mean, they're pretty dangerous. You know? I, I agree, and, and a lot of people are asking me, like, well, who do you think are going to be fast at Phoenix? Who's going to be fast at the mile and a half? And I don't know if the sample size is that huge yet, but you just can't look past the four guys, whether it's Team Penske or the Stuart Haas guys. And we heard earlier today how Stuart Haas racing is clicking on all cylinders and having all four drivers in the top ten for the first time in the organization's history. That's amazing in itself. Yes, Tony Stewart was saying that undoubtedly this is the best they've ever been uh, from top to bottom. Um, no shot at Danica, I'm sure. Yeah, there. I was going to ask you if you thought that was kind of a shot at her. Well, I mean, I, I you could take it that way, but at the same time, I mean, the, the stats are the stats. I mean, Almirola is running top 10 speed all the time now, and it's the exact same team. I mean, I don't think they did anything differently. So um, he's able to jump in and go fast. He is 10th in the point standings. Uh, he finished, well, seventh today. I mean, we weren't seeing those kind of things before out of the number 10 team. Um, you know, Boyer has raised his game. Kurt Busch has raised his game. Tony Stewart said he was so excited at Atlanta. He had gone home early because he thought it was going to be rained out, and he's sitting there in front of his TV watching, and he took a screenshot of the running order because he's like, wow, all my cars are, are doing really well. So um, I think they're they're doing great. I mean, no, you, you know, you could you could say it's a shot at Danica, but it's the facts, no? I don't. Mean. No, I, I agree, and, and the make, it makes me wonder too. Well, if Danica was in this car, would we be seeing her putting up these kind of numbers? Would no. she have been in for I'll a career give you year? A spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> about twentieth every week. Hey, yeah, no, I think. I mean, that's that's where um, 
the driver comes into play. I mean, I think a lot of these cars has to do – a lot of these, these – the success has to do with the cars. It's probably 80% car, 20% driver maybe. You know, you see, you know, good drivers don't forget how to drive, like Jimmy Johnson. I don't think has really lost anything, but he's not up there like he used to be. I think that's the car. But when you see somebody like um, a Danica situation – you know, not to harp on it again, but, you know, I just think that's, that's probably the driver. So, um, but let's let's not move on from Harvick just yet uh, because I don't think he's done just yet. I mean, can he go to Fontana and win four in a row, do you think? Well, he's won there before, and I know they had the issues there last year, but you, you look at the dominance there and how, how he's able to go out and lead a bunch of laps at those bigger tracks, the two-mile tracks. I, I wouldn't put it past we're going to see that number four car at least contend for the pole, lead a bunch of laps. And what's fascinating with Phoenix is – so last week marked the second week in a row that he led the most laps in a race. And that's the 46th time in his career. So interesting that he didn't lead the most laps today. But I think we could see Harvick do that three out of four weeks very easily. Yeah, it's kind of a weird Phoenix win for him because he only led 38 only. laps today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like when, when there's been those Harvick wins here in the past, it's, it's like, oh, he's dominating the whole race and leading hundreds of laps or something. Um, but, yeah, it's, that's a really good point. Um, and, and, of course, he is good obviously on the worn-out Atlanta track, and the Fontana surface is the only surface in NASCAR older than Atlanta. So he clearly knows how to get around those places. I wouldn't be surprised if he did win four in a row, and, boy, wouldn't people start being being uh, upset after that. Although I have, to, I have to say I kind of enjoy seeing Harvick, seeing this form of Harvick, like really rubbing it in people's faces, really like – you know, he slapped the back of the car and was pointing at it. He in victory lane, he's thanking the haters. I mean, even you know, in the media center this weekend when he came in on Friday, I mean, he just lit into it right away. You know, upset about the penalty. He's mad, and he does well. He said in the press conference, he does well when he has a chip on his shoulder. He loves all the controversy swirling. He loves he, he you know he thought this was bigger than Homestead to him because he he could feel it. So when he gets like that, it's pretty fun to watch, you know. Oh yeah, and I remember a press conference from a few years ago where they were going into that first year where they were going to have four drivers advance from eight to four here at Phoenix, and he even said, "In the end, I like controversy. I am a competitor, and and I, I think he thrives under those conditions. He does. Like it's it's funny because." You know, you see a lot of drivers run away from it. They don't want to have anything to do with that whatsoever. They want to just be quiet, stay under the radar, just do their thing. Harvick almost courts it. Like, he has to have some somebody to fight, some invisible enemy to have that chip on his shoulder. And it, it, it brings his team together. So he even said in the, in the press conference today that he used to tell Gil Martin, his former crew chief, to get him mad on purpose during the races and stuff so that he would buckle down. So it's kind of fascinating. Of course, um, Harvick isn't the only one who's running well because in addition to all four SHR cars being in the top 10, all five of the JGR slash Furniture Row cars were in the top 10. And um, Kyle Busch, strong performance. I mean, Denny Hamlin was right up there for a while, Martin Truex Jr. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. told me after the race that, you know, they feel like they're kind of like fishing where you're, you're catching some fish, but you might just have the wrong color lure, but you're very, very close. <laughs> if you just switch it out, they'll be right there. So... They're not thinking that Harvick's running away with it. They're thinking they still have, have a chance, and obviously it's pretty early, right? I mean, the, the Toyotas will have their day. I, I, I think so. I think I heard this on SiriusXM uh, last week. How we we'll probably get to the Coke 600, and I think that will be an even larger sample size. We'll really know at that point who's for real, who just got a quick little start there. And and to kind of build on that point, chatted with with Coach Gibbs 
post-race, and he was just really ecstatic that all his cars were inside the top ten. And seeing Eric Jones and, and Daniel Suarez finish in the top ten here, pick up their first top tens of the year, they did the same thing last year in the rookie campaign. So I, I think this track just kind of suits those driving styles for those young guys. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And the, the only non-SHR or um, Toyota Alliance driver up there was Chase Elliott. He finished third. Is um, he ever going to win? Oh, man. <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, he's clearly the best Hendrick car week in and week out. The other Hendrick cars, once again, were uh, 12th, 13th, 14th. So they seem to run together, and then Chase is really good. So I feel like once Hendrick gets their stuff better, Chase will win like a bunch of races. But, hey, you know, at this point, it certainly has to be somewhat of a, a mental block in some ways. And not not that he was that close today, but he did have a chance. I mean, he was up there when all four of those guys were racing together. It's not like he blew it or something, though, today. But at some point when he's in those situations and he can't close it out, I'm sure that has to weigh, in on, weigh on him. But, um, you know, he's... He's doing fine. I think he'll. I think he'll win eventually, and people will. It'll all be an afterthought. You know, there was a point I remember in my career asking Jimmy Johnson, "Does he think he'll ever win a championship?" So, because yeah, he had come <laughs> close a few times, and now you look back on that and you're like, "Well, that's embarrassing." <laughs> so, I think Chase will will be just fine. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no! Well, as, as far as some of the research you did over the off season, and I'm maybe give or take some off on the digits, but I know Chase Elliott is under 100 laps away from a NASCAR record. That record being, if he goes out and leads a few more laps and doesn't win a race, he will pass Mike Skinner all time for the most laps led without ever winning a cup race. Wow. Do you think he's going to hit that this season? Wait, so the most laps led before winning a first race or the most laps led without ever having won at all? The latter, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so Mike Skinner never won a cup race. So correct. I see. And he led the most laps in four races, never got it done. Chase Elliott's led the most laps in two races and has never closed the deal. Interesting. Well, I think that stat, even if uh, Elliot achieves it, it will go away once he does win, right? Because it'll be like you won't be able to say he's never, you know what I mean? Yeah, but exactly. yes, I, I, that, that's possible. That's possible to happen. Um, yeah, so I think, though, today was a good race overall, um, you know, especially when there was that one point there where those three guys were battling, like, for, I don't know, 20, 25 laps all for the lead. I mean, at Phoenix, typically we've sat in that media center up there uh, and we're just like, you know, we, we see the front stretch where we're looking and it's just like, you know, just one car after another, single file. Um, that wasn't the case today. I thought it was pretty pretty decent. To see three guys battling for the lead when NASCAR fans said they wanted to see more side-by-side action and racing throughout the race, I think that was the product of it today. I was on the edge of my seat in the media center. Like, you're right. You see these cars pass by on the front stretch, and then you're looking up at the monitor for the remaining 70% of the lap there because you want to see who's going who's gonna to edge ahead in turn three. They're going to enter three wide. We, we saw that with William Byron at one point. He gave going off into three. So really cool to see the leaders mix it up and so many different people lead and all the different strategies in the third stage. Speaking of the um, the media center and our vantage point, it was the last time we're watching it from here. They're switching it up. And, and actually, we're in, we're in a closet thing kind of thing right now. I feel like there's a spider web on my arm, honestly, <laughs> which wouldn't surprise me given this media center. Earlier um, when we were doing stuff, I heard somebody, the bathroom's connected to us, and I heard somebody doing the towel rack and flushing the toilet. It's just an old media center that's not really uh, conducive to um, the modern way. So I'm not going to miss it, but... Uh, do you feel nostalgic about being in here for the last time at all? I do, actually. I was, oh, telling, really? I was telling our managing editor, so I've spent 25 calendar days at this racetrack since I started covering this sport, and I've loved the view up on the press box because you get the whole front stretch, and a lot of the media centers we work at, if you're just watching the monitors, so you actually feel like you're part of the race even more here. So hearing that the media center is not going to have 
some windows when they build the new place. It's, it's a little little disheartening to hear that because it's just so cool to see these cars pass by the start finish line and, and you get a great view. It's not as loud. It's a little muffled. So you get a little bit of best of both worlds. It's like the press box but lower. I see. Well, I might take the trade off of no windows for having more than one bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the interesting things here too because you just have a bathroom upstairs and a bathroom downstairs yeah. and you have about a, about a good <laughs> 60 to 80 people working in this building. For for Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I, I never want to be one of these people that complains, and I'm sure people are listening to this like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> you're, you're getting to go to these races and sit in the media center. But there's like, I don't know, if you take all the PR people, all the people working here, we're, we're all very crammed into a very stuffed uh, area. And there's people like we're looking right now, people on tables out in this hallway, uh, cords all over the place. I remember I, I tweeted about this earlier, but so we used to – everybody used to be down – downstairs and uh when i worked for nascar scene i was would work with bob pockris and um some other guys and, and bob would get very irritated at some of the conditions and one time before we had wi-fi uh down here i kicked i accidentally kicked a bob's internet cord out and I knocked him offline and he broke a pen in half because he was so angry and it was just like everybody was in this downstairs thing it was, it was just such a mess so uh, I'm just, I guess I'm just reminiscing, but um, I, I will say, so we're, we're looking out into this little lobby thing, and over right there where that soda machine was, uh, Taylor Swift once sat before she was famous. Did really? you know this? I did not know that. Yeah, she came uh, before she was big to sing the national anthem here, and she was unknown Taylor Swift. She came in the media center with her mom. She had no handlers. And I remember, I was like, oh, that's, that's, she seems like a nice young young lady. She sang the anthem, and she was just kind of poking around. She sat on the floor over there. Nobody was talking to her. And I, I remember she had just put her first single on. I thought, oh, I wonder if she'll make it big. I mean, you can't even get her to a NASCAR race <laughs> now, you know. So that's something else that will go away with this, this media center. But speaking of um, humble beginnings rising up to future stardom, let's talk about you. Cool. <laughs> well, I appreciate the tell, tell people who aren't familiar with you um, – a little bit of your story and, and what you hope to accomplish. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Grants, New Mexico. It's a small town west of Albuquerque, about 70 miles on Interstate 40, and grew up a NASCAR fan because one year for Christmas, Santa brought some, some games for the PlayStation 1, and one of those was NASCAR 99. So I got hooked into this sport, and then in, in high school, had the chance to just interview some drivers and, and some team owners, and, and the Grants High School website was nice enough to let me put them up on there for the paper, and I thought, I want to keep doing this. So I'd applied for a writing position with a, with the NASCAR website that I won't name. Ultimately got turned down. And I thought, well, we have a small group of people here. Let's see if we can try something ourselves. So we launched the Racing Experts in 2010, in August of 2010. And just seven and a half years later, later it's been really cool to, to see all the relationships we've been able to build and just go from a small blogging website to something that's been accredited not only by NASCAR, but IndyCar and the NHRA and just all these different racing sanctions. And really cool how a, a kid from a small town in New Mexico can – I don't know, just go out and try to try to live his dream. So I, I feel really blessed to, to be able to do it. That's really, really cool. Um, so now your your most difficult task since you've um, been a me- member of the media is trying to predict the was it a good race poll for tomorrow, <laughs> the biggest challenge that you've had. Uh, okay, what do you think um, is – I'll let you go first if you want. I'm undefeated this year. Really? So you can make whatever guess you want. I'm going to bring the heat. I don't want to lose my streak here. Okay. Um, I don't want to taint, or I'll, get, I'll give you a little bit of an idea to kind of maybe reflect your decision. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. When what you percent is it going to be? What percent of people are going to say yes that, that that this was a good race? Because of the end, and you look at stage three and all the the different strategies that played out that made it really interesting. If someone just tuned in for the end, so I'm going to say it's somewhere in the seventy percent range. I'll say about seventy five percent. Seventy five. Okay. I'm going to give you a little bit of breathing room here, and boy, I hope I'm not going too high here, but I think it's going to be eighty two percent. Eighty two. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. It was a good race. You, you look yeah, at the, the side-by-side battling and all the lead changes and just the different strategy that was playing out and the defending race winner, Ryan Newman, trying to stretch it as long as he could and people like Ross Chastain and Michael McDowell trying to stay out as long as they could to maybe secure a lead lap finish if a caution would have came out. And just I think when you look at those those battles and you look at the smaller teams too, I think that really piques a lot of interest for people. Yeah. So um, the, the final thing that we have to do here is to come up with a hashtag to talk about the podcast today so that people can tweet us. Uh, by the way, what, where, what's your Twitter name for people um, to follow you? Sure, yeah. I'm at Dominic Aragon, so that's D-O-M-I-N-I-C, capital A-R-A-G-O-N. We're on Twitter. We're at Facebook.com slash The Racing Experts. So that's where they can find us online and at TheRacingExperts.com. Okay. So uh, what, what hashtag should we do here? How about... Um, just based on just talking about this earlier, how great of a race it was for Kevin Harvick and how he comes here and he just puts a whooping on the field. I think we got to call it the hashtag Kevin Harvick Invitational. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You you brought that up earlier. Okay, so hashtag Kevin Harvick Invitational is the hash, is the hashtag that we'll use. I, I like that a lot. Uh, good. That's a good one. Um, Dominic, thank you so much for joining us. Hope to have you on again sometime. Jeff, thanks a lot for having me on. I, I appreciate it. And for the rest of you, um, Daniel Hemrick is going to be the next podcast He's the 12 questions this week. And then speaking of Harvick, it's Josh Jones, who is better known as Mother Function to some of you who have been on Twitter for a while, Kevin Harvick's longtime manager. Uh, He will be the How I Got Here for this week, and that's going to come out on Thursday. And then it's off to Fontana for the next race, and another media member will join me for the post-race podcast. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.